everyone, and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is episode 178. Last episode, we interviewed Dr. Alan Wu about his writing at the intersection of laboratory medicine, history, and science fiction. In this episode, Dr. Wu reads a story based on his real-world work in the toxicology laboratory. So sit back and enjoy, and don't worry, there will not be a test afterwards. Hello, everybody. This story is called Urine Luck, and it's taken from my book, Toxicology, Because What You Don't Know Can Kill You. In high school, there are preppies, jocks, drama queens, nerds, and potheads. Jocko was clearly in that last category. He spent much time in the bathroom, smoking cigarettes or an occasional joint before attending class. I'm never going to need to know this shit, he told his mother. She knew that he wasn't dumb, just unmotivated. His car reeked of cigarettes and marijuana smoke. Butts and crumpled rolling paper crammed the dashboard ashtray. He kept his windows closed for fear that the smell would reveal him to the school narcs. But everybody knew what he was up to anyway, and he didn't care. Jocko was always good with cars and motorcycles. The kids brought all their mechanical problems to him. So when Jocko left high school, his classmates were not surprised that he was able to land a steady job as a garage man at the city's bus depot. By then, he was smoking dope regularly, but it didn't interfere with his job. He became a master at concealing his drug use from his superiors. He worked at the bus depot garage for eight years and eventually transferred to driving the city's bus. This was easier than working on engines. The promotion, however, required him, along with other drivers, to undergo routine urine, drug, and alcohol testing. Jocko did not want to lose his new job by failing a urine test. He needed the money to support his drug lifestyle. He was able to stop smoking hash for a month while he started his new job. In the meantime, he learned all that he could about drug testing policies and procedures so he could beat them. If he had studied this much in high school, he could have been a lawyer by now. One of the first things he found out was that you can buy at-home urine drug testing kits from the internet. These tests were similar to the lab-based tests used by his employer. Although purchasing these kits on a regular basis became expensive, it was better than losing his job with a positive drug test. The bus company scheduled their drug tests quarterly. Since they did not do them randomly, his plan was to abstain from smoking five days prior to the appointment. He tested his own urine using the kit just to be sure. If I test positive, I'll just call in sick that day, he told his unemployed co-druggy roommate. This plan worked for several years, but he wanted more. He believed he could beat the test without even having to stop smoking before the test. Why should I cease my enjoyment four times a year, he thought. His new plan was to drink copious amounts of water to dilute his urine just prior to self-testing. Jocko learned that in order for his urine to come out positive, the amount of drug in the urine had to exceed the test's threshold. He got this down to a science. He knew exactly how much he could smoke and how much water he needed to drink to get below the test cutoff. 
Besides, he always owned the I'm sick today excuse as his get out of jail card. This worked for a few years. He knew he was playing with fire, but he couldn't get off the pot. Calvin was in the nerd set in high school. His parents immigrated from Taiwan when he was two years old. He did well in math and made friends through the science club. He was small for his age, having reached puberty later than the other boys. He was shy around girls at school. Most of them were bigger than he was. While they went to the same school, Jocko and Calvin didn't know each other. Their only encounter was when Calvin was a freshman and Jocko was in his fifth year of high school. Calvin desperately had to pee before algebra. Not knowing the unofficial bathroom rules, he went into the smoker's john. Jocko and his friend saw the little kid, pushed him up against the stall, and told Calvin to beat it. After that encounter, Calvin said to himself, Someday, I'm going to stand up to those guys. Calvin went to college, majoring in chemistry. Science was easy for him, and he was eager to learn. Right out of college, he landed a job in my toxicology lab. We were doing workplace drug testing at the time. Calvin's job was to process the hundreds of urine samples each day and load them into the instruments for testing. He felt overqualified for this work, but he had to start somewhere. The worst part of the job was the awful smell. Sometimes he would spill some urine onto his clothes, shoes, and socks. Fortunately, we had a shower in the lab and he kept extra clothes on hand. I recognized that Calvin had a keen eye for detail and I wanted him to advance. After a few years, I asked Calvin, why don't you go back to school and earn your master's degree in forensic science? Then we can have you do more interesting jobs that suit your talents. With that encouragement, Calvin enrolled in night school while keeping his day job working for me. When Calvin finished two years later, I promoted him to certifying scientist. His new job was to look at toxicology data and verify their results. By now, he was no longer the shy, introverted person he had been when he was young. Calvin met a girl, they married, and together they had a daughter named Jenny. Jocko's urine sample was routinely sent to my lab for testing. Unknowingly, Calvin had been involved with Jocko's urine testing for years. The samples were identified by number only. Jocko's samples were simply labeled as number 32449. And going through his daily records, Calvin noticed that one sample reported as negative was just below the cutoff for THC. THC is tetrahydrocannabinol, the active ingredient of marijuana. This sample also contained a low level of creatinine. While creatinine is a normal component of urine, low values indicate urine dilution by higher than normal fluid intake. Calvin went back into the records and found that donor number 32449 consistently produced these results. He came to my office to show me what he had discovered. I told him, some people have other drugs or constituents in their urine that might trigger a false reaction to the THC test. Our cutoffs differentiate between what is truly positive from interference. Besides, 
people can have a small amount of marijuana in their urine due to passive exposure. Calvin, you wouldn't want us to report a positive result just because someone was at a rock concert and exposed to others who were smoking, would you? I guess not, he said. But Calvin wasn't satisfied. How could number 32449 be at a rock concert each time he was drug tested? Although he knew he could get in trouble for this, Calvin kept one of number 32449's urine sample aside in the freezer. He removed it one day when I was away. Opening the cup, he let it stand at room temperature to let some of the water evaporate. When this concentrated urine was retested, it came out positive. I'll have my eye out on you, number 32449, he said to himself, and then discarded the cup. Jocko's driving record was without incident. This eventually landed him a job driving kids at his old high school. They were mostly freshmen and sophomores who didn't have driver's licenses yet or whose parents couldn't afford cars for them. He was 10 years older than most of them and they treated him like he was Fonzie from Happy Days. The cool bus driver dude. He still had to undergo regular drug testing and he still was participant number 32449. By this time, he had gotten tired of drinking excess fluids prior to his tests and learned about adulteration products. He purchased a urine luck from the internet in hopes of taking his deception to the next level. Urine luck was a commercially available urine drug testing adulterant. It consisted of a vial containing one ounce of a yellow fluid. It arrived through the mail in an unmarked package. The user was instructed to add the liquid in the vial to a urine sample while in the privacy of the bathroom before submitting the specimen to the urine collector. Urine lock oxidized drugs to other compounds, thereby producing a false negative urine result. Jocko tried it out with his at-home drug testing kit and found that it worked for marijuana. By this time, he had also began experimenting with heroin. Urine Luck worked on this drug too. Jocko went online and purchased enough of the adulterant to last him for three years of quarterly drug testing. Back in the lab, Calvis noticed something was now different about number 32449's urine. His previous urine samples were colorless and odorless, a reflection of his dilute urine. Now, the sample was not near the threshold value and had a much deeper yellow color. The creatinine was also now within normal limits. Calvin thought that maybe number 32449 had reformed and was now clean. But then he thought, I don't buy it. He's doing something else. On a whim, and totally against the rules, Calvin took a solution of THC and added it to one of 32449 samples that previously tested negative. To his astonishment, the repeat test remained negative even though the added THC should have produced a positive result. He is definitely doing something again, Calvin thought. In order to solve this problem, I have to think like a drug user trying to hide my addiction. What would I do if he were me? Calvin knew that subjects who are drug tested 
urinate in the privacy of a bathroom without a witness. Maybe 32499 was adding some chemical to invalidate his test. So he went on to Google and typed in adulteration and urine drug testing. There was a hit for urine luck. After reading about how this adulterant worked, Calvin came straight to my office. Do we have permission to test suspicious urine samples for the presence of adulterants such as this? He asked, showing me the internet article. I emphatically replied, we can't do that today. Taking that sort of action would be viewed as a witch hunt, but I'm part of a group of other toxicologists who are trying to get the regulations changed so that we can do this type of testing. For now though, we have to be careful that we don't single out anyone. With that, Calvin bit his tongue and went back to his office. About two years later, fervor about adulteration practices did lead to changes in the federal drug testing policies. Labs were mandated to check for evidence of adulterants. This new law required testing of all urine samples, not just the suspicious ones. A positive adulteration result was worse for the participant than a positive drug test because it amounted to fraud. The lab-developed tests for adulterants included urine luck. Calvin couldn't wait until number 32449's urine showed up in the lab again. Meanwhile, Jocko had gotten wind of these rule changes. He knew he had to stop using urine luck. Now what am I going to do, he asked his roommate. The stakes were higher. He'd stopped using marijuana and was instead using heroin regularly now. Like most addicts, he had to have a hit almost daily and could not quit. He had also become the driver for elementary school children. Unbeknownst to Calvin, his own daughter, Jenny, was one of Jocko's daily passengers. Two months after the new drug testing regulations was in force, the results of number 32449's urine appeared on Calvin's desk. It was positive for morphine, the heroin metabolite. We finally got him, Calvin said to me that day. Now maybe he can be prosecuted accordingly. I replied, this is his first offense. He'll have an opportunity to defend himself. This is not over yet. Jocko met with a medical review officer or MRO. He explained that he had a clean toxicology record for 10 years and this was all a big mistake. Jocko had seen a Seinfeld episode and remembered that Elaine had a positive urine result due to poppy seeds ingestion, which contains morphine. He remarked in an innocent tone to the MRO, I ate a poppy seed bagel yesterday. Could this have had any effect? The MRO responded, yes, poppy seeds are well known to contain morphine. I'm going to recommend that the bus company put you on probation. From now on, you'll have to submit to monthly drug tests and they'll be randomly scheduled. We will also arrange to have someone witness you urinating in a cup. You better clean up your act, buddy, real fast. Hearing the outcome of the MRO's hearing on number 32449 and that he was only on probation, Calvin was livid. He became obsessed with trying to prove that 32449 was a drug addict. After a few days of research, he came across an article in a toxicology journal by researchers at the University of Connecticut. 
the investigators showed that testing urine for the presence of thebane could be used to confirm poppy seed ingestion. Thebane is not present in street heroin as it is not derived from the poppy plant. Excited, Calvin showed me the article and asked if the lab could test 32449's urine for thebane. No, Calvin, I replied. You're getting too personally involved in this one case. If you don't drop this, you may face disciplinary action. But Calvin disobeyed. He did set up a test for thebane and examined 32449's urine without my knowledge or permission. As he suspected, the results were negative, indicating that 32449 was lying about his positive test result. I knew it, damn it, he said to himself. He is a drug user. The next week, Jocko went to work driving the school bus. He had just taken a hit of heroin. It was a rainy day and his vision was impaired. It didn't help that he was also in an opiate haze. He swerved across the center line and hit a woman and a child in their car head on. The children on the bus were thrown about. There were no seat belts. There were loud screams followed by crying. It was a miracle that neither he nor any of the children on the bus were seriously hurt. The driver and passenger of the car, however, both died at the scene, their car crushed by the oncoming school bus. Calvin heard the news on the radio and was horrified. The bus was carrying kids from Jenny's school. A chill ran down his spine. He frantically ran to his office to grab his cell phone to call home. Then he remembered that his wife had taken Jenny to the dentist and that she was going to miss school. She was not on that bus. A crowd in the lab gathered in the break room where the news was being reported on local television. The station interrupted the regularly scheduled daytime soaps. A few minutes later, Calvin's cell phone, which was still in his hand, unexpectedly rang. It was from the police. I now provide some personal commentary to my story. Testing for adulterants by forensic laboratories continue to evolve and improve in order to catch cheaters of the drug testing system. Unfortunately, garage chemists also evolve by developing new adulteration agents that are designed to mask positive urine drug test results while escaping detection of their use. Moreover, testing for adulteration adds to the cost of testing the drugs themselves. I believe there is some hypocrisy surrounding the federal workplace drug testing laws in the U.S. today. On the one hand, drug use while working has its penalties. On the other, it is legal in many states for manufacturers to produce products purposely designed to allow someone to pass a drug test. The scope of testing is also incomplete. For example, the mandated testing for fencyclidine or angel dust makes little sense when the prevalence of this drug is so low. Meanwhile, the abuse of many other drugs, such as fentanyl, goes unabated. I realize that testing for a wide panel of drugs is impractical and costly, but improvements in drug testing policies must be made. I thank you all for tuning in to this podcast today, and may you all be well.